Hi everyone, welcome back to the show. Today I'm speaking with Stephanie K. Polly, who some of you might know through her blog, Conscious Fish. And Stephanie is a really inspiring and educated, well-researched, lovely lady who is passionate about the environment. And in this episode, we really just start a conversation that I believe will take us um, through many episodes and many chats. And we just introduce the concepts of environmentalism and activism and touch the surface of what it means to take care of your own mental health, how to address issues like anxiety, um, judgment, self-doubt in the face of the so-called environmental crisis that we face at this time. So Stephanie really inspires me. She has a really conscious, wide, broad perspective, a really inclusive perspective. And although she's really, really passionate, she's also really, really accepting. And I've very much enjoyed watching her grow, watching her perspectives grow, um, as well as her meditation and yoga practice develop. She's definitely miles ahead of me when it comes to taking care of the environment and understanding these small little swaps and little ways that we can introduce sustainable living into our daily life. So she's a inspiration for me on that front and for a lot of people. I would call her an expert and definitely the most researched and educated person on the topic that I know whilst having this consciousness perspective. She's a lover of silent meditation, of yoga, of yin, and it's inspiring to see her blending these fields as she continues to develop her own um, approaches and the way that she finds a way to be responsible in the current climate that we're in. So very much hope that you enjoy this discussion and feel free to reach out to either of us with any questions or comments or requests for us to cover topics in our upcoming chats together. Enjoy. Hi, Steffi. Hello. Welcome. Let's get straight into it today. We've had a lot of technical difficulties. Um, thank you for being my first interview on the Functional Spirituality Podcast. Thank you for having and, me. Uh, my pleasure. I think it'll be good to give our listeners a little bit of some context about where you're from and your journey up until now. Sounds good. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Steffi or Stephanie, um, and I'm from Cyprus. Uh, now Cyprus is a tiny little island in the Mediterranean, very close to Turkey and Lebanon, but it identifies um, with Greece quite a bit as well. And when I tell people that it's a tiny little island, they think of this like majestic, like tropical place, when in reality, it's not really tropical, it's got a very similar climate to Perth actually. So it can be a little bit dry at times, but uh, yeah, nice and warm, but also gets pretty cold in winter. Now, growing up, I was pretty lucky because my parents are outdoorsy. So I grew up 
by the beach um, and always doing outdoorsy activities like camping and snorkeling and diving. And when I say diving in Cyprus, people again think it's this like really awesome place for diving. And to some extent it is, but the oceans there are quite exploited in many ways. And the marine life there isn't as exciting as you might think. Now, living in Perth for a while, I've noticed through diving that the marine life here is quite very rich. So um, I'm guessing people that are listening to this are from Perth. So just imagine having all that in your backyard and how amazing it is just being able to jump into the ocean and see all these amazing things. Now, growing up, I only saw these on wildlife documentaries. I would binge watch David Attenborough, see all these amazing um, coral reefs he'd like go diving in and see all these amazing colors and all that stuff. And I get super excited and then I'd run to the beach in Cyprus, jump in and there was nothing. Being overexploited, there was barren rock, very few species and quite a bit of plastic floating around in the oceans. And that made me really sad as a child growing up because I was like, this is so unfair. Like, why don't we have this in our backyard? At that young age, I really knew there was something wrong. I couldn't quite identify what it was, but I knew there was quite something that wasn't right. So uh, I then decided to move to Australia to pursue my career in marine sciences and as I mentioned earlier coming to Australia and then being able to dive in these amazing places it kind of hit me that growing up in Cyprus and seeing the degradation within the oceans there I realized that I somehow experienced the future of what our marine environments are going to look like if we don't act uh, so that was really, I guess, a turning point in my life in terms of my environmental activism, which I hate calling it that, um, but I guess we can talk about that later on. Yeah, so that's, uh, I guess, how I ended up in Australia. So I uh, completed my studies um, in Melbourne in marine sciences, worked at the aquarium for a couple of years, and that was my dream job. I mean, growing up as a kid and visiting aquariums and stuff and you're like this is what I want to do and I ended up there I worked there for a couple of years and then I also realized like this is not what I thought it was what am I even doing here this goes against all my values but you know these are things that you uh, are sheltered from growing up as a child and you're not aware of these things so um, I wasn't happy at that point, even though um, I did start off being happy there. I learned heaps of things like uh, the importance of being able to teach uh, little kids as well. That was something that I've kept with me. And then I moved on to pursue my postgraduate studies, again, in marine sciences, uh, focusing on seagrasses. And I did that in Perth at the University of Western Australia. So I finished that. And for those of you who have done a postgraduate, yes, my thesis killed me, um, but not literally. It was very, very soul crushing. <laughs> um, and also because, you know, marine biology is one of those things that everyone wants to study when they grow up. And I did study that and I loved it, but you are just constantly being bombarded with all the negative things 
or I guess all the damage that is being done to the environment. And it's always being put forward as, you know, what are the solutions? What can we do about all this stuff? But very little focus is put on educating and expanding environmental awareness. That's what I noticed. It's always about finding solutions that would mitigate the problem rather than mm. stop the problem, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so I finished my postgraduate studies and that was, yes, yeah, definitely something I noticed. And while I was doing my postgraduate studies, I was also, you know, being very, I guess, trying to change my impact on the world on an individual level in terms of, you know, waste reduction. And even though that's a little tiny part of this whole environmental sphere, I also started trying to spread awareness within my group of friends. And I did that through Facebook. So I think I did my first Plastic Free July in 2013. And I would like log my journey on Facebook through like photos of stuff that I'd accomplished. And at that time, I was very against technology, which is kind of funny now because everything's online. So I was like, I don't need an Instagram account, like whatever. And then my brother kept on forcing me and forcing me to move everything onto an Instagram account. Eventually, that's what I did. And I named that account Conscious Fish because it was really funny. I was in the lab processing some seagrass and one of my colleagues, you know, we were just joking around about different names and stuff. And I had also started practicing at Spanda at the time. So consciousness and then fish because of all the marine stuff we were doing in the lab, it just kind of made sense. So that was how Conscious Fish was birthed, which is my individual, I guess, account where I log my progress. And that's what it was at the time. It sort of evolved um, over time, but we can talk about that later on. Yeah, so pulling it back to the fact that there was lack of focus on expanding environmental awareness within the science sphere when it comes to the public. And the fact that I had then started cultivating my own yoga and spiritual and meditative uh, meditation, sorry, practice, it came very apparent to me that things need to change and they need to change with not just on an individual level, a systemic level as well, but it also has to uh, start through expanding our environmental awareness and helping each other do that and learning because learning and being aware of things is a huge bonus to our lives. Sorry, that was a long, <laughs> a long journey by the sounds of it. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. And I've heard your story a couple of times before that really touched me and it was nice to, to hear it again. And there was other things that I picked up that I haven't heard before. So that was really nice. You know, what I'm hearing is that the environmental, so you were saying, I think in a conversation between us before that you don't really like the environmental activism terminology. And of course it's, it's so loaded, but I like, I almost feel like what you're talking about is environmental awareness, but that's just because I love awareness. So I'll always be gravitating towards that. And it seems like this sphere or this bubble or this field, this pursuit of environmental awareness this kind of harmony, the, the thing that we're looking for when we speak about the environment or whatever is going on with our current state of affairs, the thing that we're all like yearning for and attracted to, but don't know how to approach it. 
for people that are kind of on the outside and not professionals. We're interested in this environmental piece. And from what I'm hearing you say, there's, there's all of the actions that we can take to mitigate the problems that are here. And then there's that deeper systemic education piece that really has more holistic views <laughs> or holistic values and is not so active. But where, what I'm really interested in, and I, of course, I think that you're an expert, you really are an expert in the mitigation, small activities on an individual and a global level, and then also that deeper education and, and how, to, how those meet. I think you're an expert there. I would love to hear more from you about those. But the thing that I've always been really interested in and on my own rogue adventure, <laughs> like alongside of what you're doing is, which is also where we meet together, is where all of that environmental awareness meets mental health mm. and the way that we show up as a person. And I think, because for me, the way that we show up as a person is really the spiritual path, because how can we continue to show up as people, as individuals, but with a knowing of some much more deeper spiritual reality that that we are yeah so do you want to speak a little bit more you've shared about the environmental journey also since 2013 how your journey towards progress and holistic healthy environmentally aware living has intersected with a mental health journey that you've been on as well in some ways yeah so I guess the whole mental thing and having, I guess, anxiety is something that I've had from way before I even could call myself an environmentalist. It was, you know, from when I was still living in Cyprus for various reasons, not related to the environment, but also related to the environment. I have a very compassionate nature. So even harming little things always kind of made me really sad. I remember this one time in like high school, we were learning about these slave bears in Bulgaria and how, you know, they're being made to dance and et cetera, et cetera. So I decided we had to like write some poems about it. So I decided I was going to gather the class poems and make a little spiral book out of it and sell it, make money and then send it to someone who owned a bear just so that they could then relieve the bear. Obviously, you know, being 13 at the time, didn't realize that there was like a whole other, you know, it's a lot larger than just that. And then I think a few years on when I realized, you know, looking back at that story, it, it made me really sad. So it like triggered, kept on triggering that anxiety. So I guess a lot of what I feel at times does have a lot of impact or is fueled by the environmental side of things, but it's also mainly fueled by, I guess, that more compassionate side, being aware that the environment is not separate from us, from humans, and the environment suffering is us suffering too. And do you think that that is just something that is inherent? Because that, I, I mean, I believe that. I believe that we're connected to the environment and we're a part of it and it's all connected um, through our bodies and stuff. And do you think that that is something that's inherent inside of you that you're just really sensitive to and different people are 
sensitive to that inherent connection to different degrees. So when you're seeing the environment suffer, you're going to suffer and that's just how it's going to be kind of thing. Well, I mean, everyone's different, right? So everyone um, relates to things in a different way. So the way I look at the environment will be very different to the way other people look at the environment. But I guess the important thing here is to understand that our relationship and the way that we do look at the environment is influenced by the system. And what I mean by that is that we are usually, um, we grow up and it's being kind of indirectly or directly fed into us that we are separate from the environment. And I think it's those differences in people that then grow into, you know, the two or multiple ways that you have that connection. Am I making sense? Because I mean, yeah, even when, you know, you see business as usual, for example, it's always, you know, taking, taking, taking to feed the people or whatever it is that they're trying to do because we're separate. So we need to take, take, take to make us better when in reality the two are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, we keep using the word environment to speak kind of like about the, about nature and about the natural environment. But as human beings, our environment is our whole experience, you know, and it's kind of the way that we treat nature is reflective of the way that we treat our entire experience, which is, you know, it it makes sense biologically and anatomically. We're hardwired to have that separation lens so that we can overcome our environment like we're we're struggling to survive you know it's it's a part of our biology now we're not you know now we're actually not struggling to survive anymore against nature um yet those patterns are still fully ingrained in us and it reflects how we interact with not just the natural environment but our families and our work and exactly. a- any part of any part of our environment as a human being the same level of compassion and hostility and all of the things that we experience is it's going to be transferred on into the natural environment as well. Yeah. Um, and I guess uh, to add to that, when um, we talk about mental health with these sort of issues, it's really important, I guess, for us to be aware that the more you learn about these things, same with me, you know, having this idea as a child and then moving on to actually do the, do a science degree and then just being bombarded with all this negativity. Just the more you learn, it's just inevitable that you'll be going down a hole. It's, it's just what it is. And I think that's, what's really important to note and, and to work on. It's, it can be very overwhelming because you can feel so small and that, the solutions that are being presented are not the right solutions or they're not attainable. And it's just one of those things where you just have to sit with it and realize, okay, well, this is what it is, but it doesn't mean I'm going to not think about it or compartmentalize it into something small and, you know, pack it away at the back of my brain, which is what we tend to do when we have an issue. We kind of tend to, you know, run away from it or pack it away and never think about it. So, the thing that I was that I've been struggling with is trying to maintain the balance between awareness, activism, but also maintaining the balance with my mental health at the same time, which is a really hard thing to do without, I guess, a consistent practice. 
what is that piece you so you said the awareness you're aware of what's going on you're allowing yourself to be sensitive to the issues and present and then there's an activism piece or something that you're passionate and kind of fighting towards based on what you feel your purpose and what would satisfy you to work towards and then you said that there's this other piece about your consistent practice so also you being a meditation and yoga teacher as well what does what is that third piece look like to you what are you talking about there so i guess that third piece refers to just being able to sort of take control over your feelings rather than rather than letting them take control over you and the way we the way i do that or the way that helps me is through meditation and i guess yin yoga because you hold all this tension within your body and a way to release that as you already know is through slight tensions of the body through certain stretches for yin yoga and then releasing and you ultimately feel that you know sort of relaxation coming through and it's the same with meditation as well where you sit in silence not trying to manipulate anything not trying to change anything and just allowing yourself to sit there with your thoughts being aware of them but not having that attachment to them um, which is a very I guess a very fine line and something that you learn over time because saying that you shouldn't have attachment to those thoughts to some people can also mean well I'm gonna pack them up and put them away yeah and I think that it's a whole extra piece about the spiritual practice and the type of meditation that you and I would enjoy and how to get into that because I'm sure some people listening would be like how do you sit and just like how do you just sit there but actually there is a technique and an approach to to sitting and allowing and being present which mixes you know the breath a little bit of stretching and some particular attitudes which are the meditation that I speak about. I think on a previous episode, I spoke about the three attitudes of meditation. So that is something a little bit separate. But I think, you know, what's so significant for me, because especially after I met you, like you said, when you start to learn more about the environment, it's inevitable that you're going to go down. So I experienced that firsthand befriending you and becoming so close to you and being so hungry and being so interested in, especially. It, it was very similar to the way that I found spirituality. So when I first found spirituality, I went 100% into it because I couldn't believe that there were some answers out there. And when I came across you and your blog and stuff like that, and I started to learn from you and I had you know direct access to ask you all the questions that I had, and how does this work and how does that work? And I was really satisfied with the way you presented the answers, but I definitely wasn't satisfied with the answers about, you know, what is going on with the state of the world. So then I did start to go down and it, it definitely led me into a breakdown and an overwhelm that was already on this. It was already coming and it really, really supported that to, to come out and to really, to feel the overwhelm and the anxiety. And I think, you know, for me, in some ways, I want to just put it into the same box as everything else. There are so many things, there are so many challenges in my life, you know, whether they're emotional or relationship wise, or, or whatever health challenges, there are so many challenges. And I want the environment to just be one of those and address it in the exact same way. There's a challenge, be present to it, listen, investigate, act, and also continue to develop the meditation practice where overall there's there is 
uh, growth in my level of detachment and allowing everything to be as it is. But when it comes to the environment, it's so, it's not, it's so big, you know? It's, and it's huge. So, <laughs> it's huge. The environment is huge. It's, you know, if you want to talk about it from um, a bit more of a woo standpoint, you know, it's mother earth and it's, it's, it our feels like home. an, like an existential threat, right? It, Almost. it is an existential yeah. threat. <laughs> It's this huge, it's an, I mean, but there are so many other things that could be an existential threat, like a health crisis and stuff. Yeah. And maybe I haven't experienced one in those ways and, and only in smaller ways. And it all just seems way more manageable, that isolated work problem or that isolated relationship problem. And some of those are like, oh my God, it's a pattern that's repeating and it, and it does feel um, more painful. But when it comes to the environment, it's um, existential and it's, if there was ever a feeling like you were disappointing or, you know, not being good enough for a parent, it's like on a global level, you know, our mother is disapproving of us, you know, and, and we're connected to it. And any small action I take here or there, which you speak to a lot and you really support and um, mitigate that problem where we just feel like, oh my God, everything I'm doing is pissing off my mom. And she's so pissed and she's hurting and she, you know, and then there's so much, there's so, you know, my big problem, Steffi, is all of the extra story on top of it. All of the people who are hurting because of the problem and are, have just become rancid, you know, like they're, they're now becoming their own sense of toxicity, their own sense of blame, their own sense of guilt, their own fear, um, which can go as far and wide as crazy conspiracy theories. You know, I love a conspiracy theories, but love the a good conspiracy really go, theory. <laughs> the ones that go really far out and just it just demonizes everything. So I don't know. I, I feel like I'm just budding in this area about how to manage this whole new, like when I thought that I had now understood, not, I hadn't fixed anything or become perfect, but I had a method for navigating my life. You know, there's a spiritual practice there that can support me. There's certain understandings and there's certain tools and techniques that anything that comes my way, I can manage it. And now there's this whole environmental crisis which is no longer a personal issue. It's really like this existential thing. And I don't want to be someone who puts it into a box and puts it away, but I definitely want to put it into a box. It needs to, like you said, you need to get on top of it. You need to set up the relationship between you and that issue <laughs> um, or that problem or that anxiety. And just because it's so all consuming, it's even more important, I think, to put it in its place and more important than any action, any value, any standpoint, any viewpoint, any activism that I would take would be my relationship to just that whole, that issue as a whole. What, do you agree with that? Yeah, to, to some extent, yes. I mean, if we look at the eco-anxiety workshops that I ran at Spanda, for example. So the way, the reason those started was because of me trying to manage my own anxiety around these issues, 
but also to help others along the way because it is a topic that affects a lot of people and people especially the sensitive people sorry like and when you especially the sensitive people and the more you become sensitive the more you kind of it gets yeah. full on. I mean, empaths, um, people that are extremely compassionate, they, you know, they will be drawn towards that a lot more easier than someone who, who isn't. And that's fine. I mean, a lot of people will disagree that eco-anxiety is even a thing. And at the end of the day, your place here isn't to try and justify that you have eco-anxiety. You feel it. And that's what's important. You know, it doesn't matter who decides to tell you, usually, you know, it'll be an elderly person who's like, you know, I went in the war and, you know, what issues do you have? And it's like, well, there are issues that are relevant to my time and they're equally as valid as yours. Yeah. So going back to the eco-anxiety workshops. So what I wanted to create there was a space where people could come together and talk about a topic that is related to environmental, um, the environmental sphere, whatever that topic is, because again, the environmental sphere is massive. It, you know, goes from environmental racism to privilege down to waste, um, energy and water waste as well. So it's just a massive thing. These circles were, I guess, for people to just uh, bring out the stuff that worries them, discuss it with a group of like-minded individuals, um, maybe explore a topic a little bit med- a little bit better, and then go through a meditation practice. Now, in terms of the learning something a little bit more and then going into a meditation practice, kind of helped me in a sense that uh, you're sitting there, you're being aware of what of what the topic is, what you just learned, digesting it a little bit more, but then realizing, okay, how much of this can be changed on an individual level? How much is it? you know, it's a systemic issue and can I actually do something about it? Um, a lot of the times you'll notice that a lot of the, the stuff is out of our hands because again, it's systemic level issues. But the importance here is that you're aware because a lot of people aren't even aware that these things are an issue. And we have the media telling us, you know, consumers, 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 and they're, you know, diverting the blame away from higher level down to the individual level which is causing even more anxiety as well so like the media has you know some sort of power over us and in terms of going back to you putting stuff in a box it's important to put stuff in a box but it's important to not hide that box away it's important for our sanity to understand that we can't tackle all these issues that exist but it's very important for the collective consciousness that you are aware that these issues exist and that there is an awareness that there is a lot of nuances as well. What I mean by nuances is, for example, and I apologize to all the people that don't bleed that are listening to this podcast, menstrual cups, love a menstrual cup, best swap I've ever done um, in terms of reducing my waist. But there's a barrier to entry. There's $60. Yes, you, for me and you, that's not an issue because we know that over time that cost will be alleviated. But for someone who can't afford that, who can't afford to spend $60 straight up, that is an issue. That is a barrier to that person. It doesn't mean that because they don't get a menstrual cup, they don't care about the environment. 
but there's also these other factors that's a nuance within this, um, I guess, strategy. That's what you want to call it. And moving on to not even just the barrier entry, thinking about, you know, people that bleed in countries where infrastructures such as water are not very well adapted. You know, for example, someone is using their menstrual cup, they pull it out, they need to rinse it with sanitized water. That water doesn't exist. That can, you know, pose a real health issue. It's not that these people don't care about the environment and need to use, you know, single use sanitary items. They do care. They're just, it's also a health thing for them because they can't rinse it with clean water that's not going to, I guess, harm their health later on down the track. I mean, this is what, you know, I love about you and you always share. It's like, we can try to take action, but it's not like, there's not going to be an action that is the solution. So what is the solution? (laughs) The solution is just being aware, in my opinion. It's just having that awareness that yes, these issues exist, whether you have the capacity to deal with them or not. So I guess I even was thinking for another action. So if your solution is to be aware, um, my mind immediately went back to the thing I said it wasn't, which was like, okay, so how can we make awareness the action for the planet? So is there an action that is the solution or is it something more nuanced that um, it's not, a? I mean, of course, there's always going to be that activation p- uh, activism piece, but what do you mean by just being aware is the solution? I guess what you explained um, just now as well, that awareness is the solution. So the solution to all of this that is happening is the fact that people or the general public are not aware that certain things are an issue because they're being sheltered or being fed the wrong news through the media. They're being sheltered by their councils, their governments, um, and aren't aware of you know the bigger picture stuff that is going on behind the scenes. So just having that awareness that these things exist, wanting to do your own little piece of research, whether there is an attainable solution to it is the most important action you can do. Well, you know, you said before, though, that when you do start to become aware, you start to go down. So (laughs) thinking about that as a solution that people are becoming more aware and they're inherently becoming more psychologically affected, that doesn't sound like a, a good solution. Like what, what would you hope to get from people being more aware, even if you could speak just one more layer about practicality about being aware? You said like being aware means to do a little bit of research to find out how, what they can do at home. What do you mean by all of that? Well, it's, I guess, finding a balance between everything, right? Because doing that little bit of research, yes, you're going to be going down, but you also need to have that level of self-awareness as well, where it's like, okay, I realize that I'm going down because I'm learning much. Maybe it's time for me to take a break from learning for a little bit, going back to it later on, going into, you know, um, your meditation practice. So I think there needs to be a balance between everything that you do. Yeah. Is that a little bit more clear? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I, I, I've been trying trying to navigate this, right? With you, I've been watching you try to navigate it um, in your own way and me trying to navigate things. And 
for me, it always comes down to in all fields, but then in this really pertinent field, which is so alive for me, it's that spiritual practice is the priority, which is a, a quite a strong kind of statement to make, you know, to say that it um, supersedes everything else and it needs to be given a priority over everything else. And I think that it's, I think it's dangerous and reckless for people to be looking into what's wrong with the world before setting up some understandings and some systems for how to approach the world in yeah, general, positive, positive or negative. So I think, you know, to become more aware of environmental issues is um, such a dangerous thing because of the, t the, the way that information is fed to us and because of a severe lack of self-awareness and self-understanding. So how do I work? What happens when this feeling comes up? Why does this? How do I alleviate that? How do I flow? What is my purpose? What are my values? How do I want to rest in the world? How can I keep myself feeling optimal? And people who, like you said, are compassionate or people who are, even people who are just generally angry and into activism in general or conspiracies and stuff, they'll get gravitate, they'll gravitate towards these environmental issues. They'll start to go down. But when you said balance, that really like put the light bulb on for me. Like it has to be a balance that as far down as you go, you need to build the same amount of roots in your spiritual practice. Otherwise, you are actually just as toxic as the thing that you're trying to overcome. And you've experienced this firsthand because, you know, I think that you are super passionate and super, what was Jared making fun of you the other day for being? Intense. <laughs> intense. So I think you are. Thanks, Jared. <laughs> you are intensely present in this field. So you do attract these other people who are really present, but these other people are just really, they're so blamey, they're so angry, and they, they don't, they may never have tried meditation in their entire life. Like, they may never have tried psychological, you know, support or anything like that. And it's actually just exacerbating. I don't think that is valuable. And I like that what you call your values and your goals as environmental awareness, because it pins you to and makes you accountable to having awareness and being conscious and, and being aware of the interconnectedness of all things. Because if that's what environmentalism, it, environmentalism is on a whole, is being aware of the interconnectedness of, of the planet, then you can't go and start to stab and jab at other things because it's the interconnectedness of all things. But I do think that um, most people, because you, that's probably why you don't like the umbrella, you know, there'll be something called environmentalism and people with completely different values will be aligned under that one umbrella. And one certain values might be that I just hate meat eaters. And that's actually the, the deep motivation where someone else might be coming from a deep motivation of, recognizing and respecting the interconnectedness of all things but their actions are are looking the same but their motivations are different so go ahead their motivations towards something may be different but i disagree with the values thing a little bit because 
at the end of the day, if you were to survey people on their three, you know, their three most important values, there is a lot more, what's the word for, oh my God. Similarity. Similarity, yes. There's a lot more similarity between our values, regardless of our motives. There's a lot of similarity between everyone's values. And for example, people, I mean, no one wants to hurt anyone else. If you go and ask someone, um, you know, do you have a value that is connected with harm? Like no one is going to turn around and say, I don't, you know, I love harming people. I love harming animals. They may not say that. They may not say that, but I don't think what people self-identify their values are. I don't mean that. I mean like what they're deeper like what they they don't mind punishing people they don't mind calling people out shaming people um so what they would call harm you know they don't mind you know there are violent forms of activism as well can i make a segue i really wanted to ask you at the very beginning what your values are good question so should i say my top three values (laughs) yes please i guess my top three values would be truth uh truth on all levels individual, spiritual, systemic. What's systemic truth? Like, what are these people doing? Just like, (laughs) stop, you know, stop hiding stuff from the public. Like you are working for the public. Tell them what you're doing and listen to them. Just because you're in power, it doesn't mean you know what you're doing. Like an integrity, like a form of integrity. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it four values. Compassion community and connection. Now, the reason community is a huge part of, I guess, or is the basis of my values is because um, going back to everything we just talked about, community, everyone loves community. Everyone loves connection. Even if you're an introvert, like I am, you do crave that you know, sense of community. And in an environmental sense, um, especially when you're doing all that research and becoming more aware, it can feel very isolating and that can exacerbate the eco-anxiety. It can feel very isolating, you know, that you can't relate with other people now that you know, all this stuff. So it's really important that instead of, I guess, lashing out on people that are people are not doing enough, it's finding those connections within your community and your close friends that you can cultivate a little bit more um, on the common ground of environmentalism and talking about values as well uh, just before about how people can have differing motivations for certain things people within your community will and when I say community I don't just mean you know your street I mean you know your circle of friends your family people down at the grocery store that you you know manner that you um, (laughs) connect with on a regular basis. Um, All those people will, regardless of the issue, will have similar values to you. And it's about finding those like-minded people and being able to openly discuss your fears, your concerns, everything that you feel, rather than just compartmentalizing them and pushing them away. So having that box and given the opportunity, the right opportunity, being able to unpack that box a little bit with like-minded individuals, because trying to do it alone, you know, we can be sometimes our own worst enemy, if that makes sense. Definitely can, yeah, fest, fester in your head. And what are your values? 
Um, (laughs) My values are knowledge on all levels. (laughs) So on a relative level, um, so what's, what can be known for you and what can be understood for you on a personal level, but then of course, transcendent knowledge as well of the self. Community and love and connection, that whole area of being felt and heard and being able to support others and and having love and that intimacy with people. And then that same thing again, but with nature, how nature represents that kind of universal aspect of connection um, where the people represent that more personal one. I have so many more questions for you. So I think knowing that would be a good time to stop our our interview now unless there's or is there anything that you just want to close with that you feel it needs to be said no i was going to just i guess chat a little bit about you know finding those like-minded people and making those connections but also being aware that you don't want to constantly be in an echo chamber and what i mean by Absolutely. echo chamber is um just constantly surrounding yourself with people that are so like-minded but also so passionate that they haze or cover the nuances that are also really important like things that we talked about before yeah absolutely and I think I mean that's why I was like oh my god this is a whole rabbit hole right here because I think the way that we listen to each other and the way that we support each other I think what you said is something so true it's what I found so valuable in my connection with you is that I can bring up things but your knowledge and your understanding and your position in this field is I think it's really healthy and it's it's detached and it's clear and you're coming from that place where the values match mine and like you said it's not about harm it's more about integrity so the way that you listen is really supportive but I think what we really need to offer people and we can offer it in another format is a little bit of a checklist about how to how to connect to people like I, I believe we need instructions about how to listen how to connect you know exactly what you do in the now you're going to be running climate circles so it's going to be a chance for people to connect and talk and it's not an echo chamber it's a place to voice those concerns instead of putting them into a box far away and it's a place to voice concerns in a really healthy way that it, it allows them to transform and to evolve and that energy to move because nothing is going to get fixed and there's no action that we need to take that we believe that we need to be judged if we don't do and others need to be judged. It's not about that, but there is something about connecting and talking about those things. So actually, instead of, sorry, instead of setting up a, instruction manual about how to do it people can actually just come to climate circles because climate circles is a wednesday evening mini session mini class um that you guide and it's being conducted over zoom so all of our friends all over the world who have been to spunda and left or haven't ever been to spunda can connect with you and myself and the community over there which is pretty good Yeah, and that's why I'm super excited about them because, you know, it's always such a diverse group that, you know, it's a safe space where you can voice your concerns, ask questions, discuss things, but because it's also so diverse, you get so many different views from different people and their experiences, and you kind of um, unpack and understand 
those nuances a little bit better. And there's, you know, that understanding a little bit more, but it's also a good way to understand that in an environmental context, there's no one right solution, as we said earlier. And when we talk about activism, there's different types of activism. There's, you know, activism going to a protest, there's activism avoiding plastic at a shop, for example, or even knitting. Knitting is also an activism, craftivism. So many different angles. You just need to find the one that resonates with you the most. It doesn't make it less important than the rest. And yeah. yeah, as I said before, that's why I'm excited about climate circles, because it's a good opportunity to dive in and explore in a safe space where you will be held not just by myself, but also by a community of, you know, like-minded individuals that is also diverse and makes it, I guess, not so echoey. Yeah. And I think it's a really good balance because if you want to look, if you want to get practical solutions, like how to reduce plastic, how to make your own nut milk, like how to all of these little really easy home swaps, people can follow your page. Um, so at conscious fish is the Instagram, but it's not always about like taking action, needing to take action, making sure the actions are, you know, like just trying to always clean up and being so action focused. It's also more about listening and developing that inner relationship. And like you said, hearing other people's perspectives and the nuances, it's a totally different approach. And I think people are just obsessed with the only the action approach, but also it is about a, there's a yin component to it as well. There's an inward and a, a softening an expansion piece. That's more just about, you know, taking up more space, being more present, which is is very different from that action piece yeah, that course. you also offer. And the action thing is, you know, the ego trying to, you know, to expand totally. and what we don't and what we don't understand. Yeah. But what we miss a lot of the times is that that yin element of things is also just as expansive as your ego wanting to expand through actions. Yeah. Absolutely. That's so beautiful, Steffi. Thank you so much for Thank chatting. You. And we'll chat again soon for sure. Um, and definitely check out Conscious Fish and check out Climate Circles. You can find it on the Spunda website as of now. Thanks, everyone. Um, and I'll see you on Wednesday at the Climate Circle. See you on Wednesday. This show is dedicated to creating wholeness and satisfaction through higher education. I recommend you go back into the app and subscribe to the podcast. The very nature of the spiritual path is cultivating an experience that lifts you up. And this small step can do just that. You can also discuss your insights and the subject matter with friends. Thank you for listening and for cultivating wisdom. Thank you.